0: please join paul and his guests as they ask the ever important question is it jaws it's
1: coming from the deep dark recesses of the mind of mel brooks i love him young frankenstein Sky means business. Young Frankenstein! Oh dear, nothing left. What shall we throw in now? Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. But what about your grandfather's work, sir? My grandfather's work was doo-doo! Peter Boyle as the monster. Whoa! <laughs> Marty Felvin as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Floris Leachman as Frau Blucher.
2: You played that music in the middle of the night? Yes! To get us into
1: the laboratory. Yes! And it was you who left my grandfather's book out for me to find. Yes! So that I would... Yes! Then you and Victor were... Say it! He was my boyfriend! Kerry Gar as Inga. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? Roll, roll, roll in the hay. Kenneth Mars as the inspector. and Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. Where am I? <coughs> Calm down. What are you going to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. <coughs> Listen, I I'm, I have to be back by 11.30. I'm expecting a very important call. Kill the monster! Stop me, castle! I'm sorry, Young Frankenstein Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh But don't see it alone Don't miss Young Frankenstein Personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks In black and white,
2: no offense Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro and this time out I have two first timers joining me uh, Jonathan and Maggie Schaefer Hames, welcome aboard, hey. guys!
0: Yay. Hi there.
2: It's nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm glad you were able to make it. So you know, as as often is the case, Jonathan had uh, made some sort of offhand comment about one of the episodes, and the next thing you know, I was saying, "Hey, you want to come on?" And, <laughs> and 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 here here we are. That's how a lot of our podcast stuff starts, is just John
3: making offhanded comments, (laughs) and it gets us into more trouble than he realizes.
2: Yeah. Well, not trouble, I guess. I'm I'm going to dig into that, actually, a little bit, though, because you made a comment (laughs) to me, which I appreciated very much, about that the discussion we had about planes, trains, and automobiles had you kind of thinking about the nature of comedy. Yes. And I'm just curious, like, you know, because I'm not used to being, uh, you know, all that deep so uh i'm curious like what what we said that got you thinking and what did it get you thinking uh well i was just
4: um in terms of what it is about comedy and i and what it is about horror i think it's it came out of that conversation you were saying something about comparisons between comedy and horror and i was thinking a lot about that in the essence of both of them it's about surprise I mean, something is funny. You react with laughter because a joke is a completely unexpected thing in a certain way that you've been conditioned to laugh. Um, horror is a completely unexpected thing, in a, just like jump scare horror. Mm-hmm. Just for, for a second comparison to this, uh, it's a, you react in a certain way because of complete surprise. Sometimes there's crossover. You can laugh so hard you scream. Uh, you can be on a roller coaster and be scared and and laugh. Mm-hmm. Or, or in a haunted house, and a lot of that probably stems out of the idea of bringing it back to reality, realizing that you're dealing with a fiction that's making you revert back to a fight, flight, or fight, fight, fight or flight uh, situation.
2: Okay, that that is interesting. To it's, it's like I said, it's more deep than I even realize. I'm getting, (laughs) (laughs) but here here we are. uh, You know, you did I guess you brought up young Frankenstein, and yes. that's what we're covering today and so we're getting a movie that uh that combines the horror genre in a parody uh, and you know generally considered to be somewhat of a classic came out in nineteen seventy four so at the time, I was twelve years old, and I don't think either of you were around
4: I was born the month it came out.
3: I was several years out yet.
4: <laughs> so, so, so did you see it?
2: <laughs> no. uh, As a not, not at the time, no. This, this was, for, for my history, this, this was one of the first movies. I guess I was, tw- again, 12 years old, and I had gone with my friends to see it. And I remember coming home and just being ecstatic over it and telling my parents, oh, you have to go see this, you have to go see this. And I kept saying it until they finally went to see it and took me to see it a second time. Uh, which was, you know, like maybe a week or two later. But I think they were tired of hearing me bring it up by then. Uh, I do think they enjoyed it at the time, but uh, it was definitely my pressure that made them go to the movie theater to see it. And at the time, I was—I had either never seen the, the original Frankenstein movies, and more importantly, I know I had never seen Bride of Frankenstein at that point, uh, or if I had seen it it was kind of in passing and i wasn't that familiar with it so i was really enjoying this for itself as opposed to what it was parodying right. and then you know as i got older and i saw the the you know the the movies that it is parodying uh you know i gained a greater appreciation for it at that level so i think this movie kind of works on both levels having experienced it both ways uh how did you guys I guess you could tell me individually how did you how did you first experience this, and what did you think
3: I don't remember how old I was the first time I saw it, but i was I was pretty young, and young Frankenstein has been a movie that's followed me through my life, both just by quoting it almost on a daily basis <laughs> and i I've seen the movie at least a dozen times, if not more um and it was i think around the same time too that i saw robin hood men and tights and history of the world and i became a mel brooks fan before i was really cognizant of who mel brooks was
4: mm-hmm. yeah i i saw it when it was the the first time it was on tv they made a big deal about it and i remember it was over some holiday it might have been thanksgiving mm-hmm. cuz i was over at someone's house with my with my parents and it was on TV, and I remember sitting around, and, and we all watched it, and it was brilliant. And everyone liked it, regardless of age, gender, or anything. Everyone found something to laugh hysterically at. And we and I went to school the next day, and all of the kids there, I must have been about maybe seven or eight years old, probably at that point. And everybody in my class was just talking about it, and like <laughs> quoting it or misquoting it back and forth at each other.
3: It was adorable.
4: And... And it's, it's like with Maggie, it's followed me throughout my life. It's one of two movies that I can watch and then go over to somebody else's house and see that they've just put it in, and I'm completely fine sitting down and watching it from beginning to end, and I'm going to enjoy it just as much. The other one Absolutely. being The Princess Bride.
3: Yeah, it's, I agree. I agree with us. Which we've I already mean, covered we on the
2: show. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, oh, that's another one of my favorite movies. But we we had uh, Young Frankenstein on the VHS. Yeah. For anyone out there who remembers what those are. <laughs>
2: well, when you know the time that Jonathan's talking about would be in the early stages of VHS tapes becoming, uh, you know, readily available for people. Yeah. Uh, if you're saying you were about seven at the time, yeah. uh, at that point most people didn't even necessarily have a VCR. Uh, A lot of people did, but then very few people owned pre-recorded movies uh, because they were so cost prohibitive at that time. So the event of it being shown on TV was more of an event than it would be today. Uh, And I don't know about where you were, but in New York, cable TV really was not widespread at all at that point. So you were pretty much still limited to the networks and the syndicated stations. You, know, you had seven, seven channels across the dial, and that was it. Uh, we had three in PBS at
4: the time. <laughs> there was no such thing as cable anywhere near northern Wisconsin at gonna, that time.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, that's
3: Northwood's living for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't get cable where I lived in Brooklyn until 1986, I think, maybe 87. No, it was definitely okay. 87
4: my friends in t- in the little town i lived in um called butternut wisconsin i didn't name it i would have argued against that but different conversation uh they've got it probably about 84 cuz i remember watching the transformers cartoon over at my friend's house
2: okay so yeah but at the time this was on yeah. i mean you're talking probably around 1981 or so 82 yeah. uh i had a vcr at that time but my collection was Watching things on TV and recording it, yeah, yeah, well, and, sure. Uh, there, there was, you know, again, the the cost of of uh, pre-recorded tapes was crazy back then. Uh, and I go back to I remember when Star Trek two came out on VHS tape, which would be around 1984 or so. Uh, it was specially bargain-priced, you know, to try and get people to purchase at at 34.95. <laughs> yeah.
4: That's crazy. I was just gonna mention Star Trek Two in a completely different way because once we got a VCR that was a movie on TV. It was one of the first ones we taped
2: mm-hmm. and for
4: that was the only way I watched Star Trek Two and it was it had extended scenes in it. So when I finally did get the the VHS cassette, I was confused as to what <laughs> the missing where the missing parts were.
2: yeah you didn't have Scotty bursting in with his nephew. Right. Uh, I don't even remember what what else there was that was extra, but yeah, I, I do recall yeah. that as well.
3: Wait, are you telling me that it was thirty five dollars to buy a VHS on movie? S-
4: on sale? Terminator Two, when it came out, was a hundred and five dollars, and that was
2: that was whatever it was, eight nine years after that. Yeah, yeah that was in the the early nineties.
4: I had no idea. Yeah, it was it's like this whole other world. Well, that was keeping the. Uh, the rental est- agencies established, they were priced mm-hmm. to rent. Your blockbusters, rent, yeah. So, they, so the, they were priced so the stores could buy them, and then they would rent them out.
2: Sure. That's crazy. Yeah, and the, and the rentals were, most places were like $5 a night when they first started. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. Ev- eventually it got to $1 a night, which, which is when I really got to uh, just go crazy with my movie-watching uh, habit. And, you know, I would... Pick a particular uh, actor or director or you know genre, and I would just every day just go and rent yeah. a new movie.
4: Those were the days.
2: Yeah, That's, it's. I hate to be one of those uh, back in my day guys, but <laughs> yeah. it was. It, it did make the well, viewing feel more special. I think well, now with a... everything having such easy access, I don't think. I think you lose some of that.
4: I'd have to agree with you. I remember I was listening to uh, your, with you and uh, J. David Weeder talking about Jurassic Park, your other, and you, you met, one of you had just mentioned the idea of coming across Jurassic Park as you're changing channels, and even that's a novelty now. When you've got Hulu and Netflix, you very rarely will be just, you know, spinning the dial. You'll go on Netflix until you find a show you want to watch and then watch it, and then you binge it in order rather than just, oh, Taxi. I haven't seen Taxi in a while.
2: Mm-hmm. that's true the, the the streaming services are changing that aspect of uh, of television viewing that you know um, it's, I'm not sure where it's all going to land in the end but right now yeah. I, you, you're 100% correct on that The I was spinning through the dials and saw this on maybe a thing of the past in the not you know not too long from now right speaking so, of nostalgia this movie yeah. Yes. It's, it's you know tangents on my way, so we have to get back <laughs> oh, on target every once in a while. You're trust me.
4: Uh, you make me feel much better about the inevitable tangents that will occur in, yeah. by yeah, me. John
2: is made of tangents.
4: Yes. But so um, now,
2: now this movie was apparently the brainchild of Gene Wilder. Yes. Which which is something I was unaware of. I just always thought it was you know mostly Mel Mel Brooks. But apparently Gene Wilder had come up with the idea. Coming off of having done uh, Willy Wonka and the Producers, and mm-hmm. you know this this became kind of a, a project for him, and then he ended up getting involved with Mel Brooks for again, well, Mel Brooks again because he had already done the Producers with them right. for uh, Blazing Saddles, and had pulled him in on the idea, and then they, you know, combined their efforts to 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 make this movie, uh, and that that was a little bit of a surprise to me to find that out. I did not know it. Uh, until you know, until we were getting ready to do this uh, show, right. and I and I was looking into it a little bit. Uh, Gene Wilder, I have always found to be very hit and miss as an actor. Hmm. Uh, I enjoy his his style, but I find he's he needs a funny line to be funny. He can deliver a funny line in a funny way, but he's not one of these actors who. Who can say things in a way that 's funny even when the line isn 't quite there uh, i'm trying to think of I'm, i don't know if i 'm articulating that well enough there was a point... I get what
4: you mean i just i'm trying to think of an e- example I,
2: I think one of the examples in his heyday would be Eddie Murphy. He had a way of of say you know giving a line that might not sound funny on paper and just you know the inflection yeah. with, that he delivered it with made it funny
4: Mm-hmm. For me, it's with Gene Wilder is about the most earnest actor I think that's been out there.
3: I think that's a good word to describe him.
4: Just the the level of care and cr- that he puts into every role that he was in, especially the comedic roles. I mean, it, and it's his earnestness I think that lets him get away with with a lot of the scenery chew- chewing and just. The, the, the manic madness he gets to go in, in, in mm-hmm. this movie in particular, there's a very few actors that could have just pulled off screaming at the top of his lungs to the extent that he does and be hysterical all the time. and
3: Give my creation! life
2: <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it is similar to the performance he gives in The Producers mm-hmm. in that yeah. respect, because he goes over the top in that one a lot.
3: And that's, on the producers is, that, that one holds a special place in my heart. I actually got to see the producers on Broadway on a trip I uh, made in, to New York when I was in high school, and I'd seen the producers a couple of times, and I thought that, because there's two versions.
2: Well, there's, there's the musical Gene, and the non-musical.
3: Right, and with, when with Gene Wilder and that blanket as the accountant, it gets me every time. I've seen it so many times, and it makes me laugh hysterically. Mm. I think he's amazing in
2: that. Well, just to go back to it again, when I, I had first seen this again with my friends in the movie theater, and then I had talked my parents into going to see it, and when we went to see, when I went to see it with them, it was a double feature of Young Frankenstein and the producers.
1: Ooh, so oh, that's wow.
2: how I that's how I saw the producers for the first time. And no. I was at, at twelve. I didn't really appreciate the producers as much as I sh- would eventually grow to. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, that's not the focus of the show. Maybe one day we'll do that one. But for now, uh, <laughs> Young Frankenstein, I appreciated right from the get-go. Yes. And, you know, again, talking about Gene Wilder, I've always generally enjoyed him. But, again, I, I feel, you know, he, I, like I said, I, I, I almost feel like I'm being mean, but I feel like he doesn't rise above the material. If the hmm. material is funny, he delivers it in a funny way, and in this movie, the material is funny. So he, you know, there's no problem with that. And again, in The Producer's the same thing, in Blazing Saddle's the same thing as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the one that I personally am not a fan of, that many people, you know, it's very loved with many people, is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm not a big fan of that, and I don't feel I'm his 100%. performance rise above, right, rises above the material.
4: I'm not a fan of him in that either. Uh, Maggie is this we will we disagree about that one, but I I don't disagree, I don't dislike it because of his performance per se. I just find the the adaptation a bit off for my taste, but it's been a while since I've seen that. I might have changed my mind by now.
2: Well, again, like I said, to me it's I I agree with you. I don't really care for the adaptation and the fact that he's in it doesn't raise it to make me like it.
4: Okay.
3: Hmm. I'm the opposite. I, I, I like Charlie or uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the book. Um but well, I, I, I the remake. Like that
4: movie. Which never happened. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm fine with that.
3: Yeah, yep. no, we don't talk like the Michael Bay movies on the round pod, we don't oh, talk about you know, that. No, no. Um I've always liked it, and honestly, I think that Gene Wilder's performance makes me like the movie even more. There's a lot about that movie I like, and I haven't seen it in a very long time either. So I guess my opinion of that may have changed because I watch movies differently than I did when I was... I, don't, I was probably like anywhere between 10 and 13 the first time I saw Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But I liked it. Mm-hmm. But,
2: yeah. Well, well to just, just to, to make it clear, I, I welcome... Uh, dissenting opinions. I have no problem with the fact <laughs> that you like something I don't or vice versa. Well, yes. you've come to the right, or we've come to the right place.
4: <laughs> we dissent all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: my, my, my thing I, I always say is I, I just don't like people who have an opinion with no basis at all. You know, I You, agree you say, that. what about that? Well, I didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? Because it sucks. Well, right. uh, yeah, That's, that's not really hard. not good enough for me. <laughs> all right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Now, this was my first experience with Terry Garr. uh, And as I've come to know her throughout her career, it seems funny to look back that she was playing kind of the sex part here.
4: Doesn't it, though?
2: You know, I mean, she always had this cuteness about her in all her movies. But you never expected, like, you, you, she was never the, you know, the, the blonde bombshell, except in this movie. Mm-hmm. And plays it to a T. with Oh, the, yeah, she, is, she
3: attacks that role. She's so good.
4: And her accent she got from Cher's hairdresser when she did yeah, the, the
3: her, Yeah, her wig stylist is who she based her accent off of <laughs> to make it very outrageous and over the top. It's great. She's okay. Everyone in that movie is fantastic.
4: There is not a bad role in that movie. There's
2: not, no. I do have to agree with you. I think that's that's very true. Uh, and then we have Madeline Kahn, who's a Emil uh, <laughs> oh, oh. Brooks staple. She was like in yes. everything of his. And she was... I mean, just looking back on her career, she was just a phenomenal comic actress. Mm-hmm. And, and well, she, she plays a... Kind of an unlikable character in this movie, uh, but Hmm. still manages to bring out the right humor in the role.
3: Oh, absolutely! In, in in fact, when I was a kid, my mom and I used to say goodbye by touching elbows <laughs> because of that scene in Young Frankenstein. Yeah, <laughs> taffeta, taffeta, darling. taffeta, darling. No, the dress is Taffeta. <laughs> it, that whole that, that scene is so good. But yeah, my mom and I used to reenact that all the time when she'd like go to work and I had to be home. I was a, you know she had to go to work. I was a single mm. kid, so I had to stay home sometimes, and we'd, we'd say goodbye by touching elbows with each other and quoting Young Frankenstein, and that was. How we went through life <laughs> with young Frankenstein.
2: Now, yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Joe.
4: Oh, I really don't have much to add, but then just that she's she's a just absolutely beautiful, absolute, absolutely brilliant in the, in that yeah. t- entire thing.
3: Anytime it's, I think about Madeline, and I also go back to like Blazing Saddles where she does that. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs>
4: She's so funny. Well, and then there's the bit with her and Marty Feldman. where, where They, that, could, not where they could
3: not get through that scene. Where they could not
4: get through that scene. Yeah, the outtakes are readily available. I'm sure you've seen it. But it's just... That was one of their famous
2: 15-take things. Yeah, but they mm-hmm. couldn't
3: get
2: through it. And I, I don't know. I always just got a kick out of the scene at the very end when she's after she's married to the monster. And and they're just talking like an old married couple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... I don't know. I just always found it very amusing. Uh, we got Peter Boyle in here, who—interesting trivia fact: his best man, or he was, yes, his best man was John Lennon. No, no kidding.
3: That's a hell of a choice for best man. How did that happen? Yeah, how did apparently, that happen?
2: Apparently, they were like best friends.
3: That's really well, cool. Peter Boyle and John Lennon were best friends.
2: That is cool. My to know. mind is blown. It is.
4: Hopefully I'll still have things to say now. I'm just going to be thinking about that.
3: Because when I think Peter Boyle, I mean, aside from Young Frankenstein, I think everybody loves Raymond.
4: That's literally <laughs> everyone.
3: Yes. Right, it? and so to me, everybody loves Raymond, and John Lennon do not mesh. <laughs>
4: well, and, and Peter Boyle in this role seems would seem to not mesh on the surface. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was the guy, when I would go a while between viewings of this, I kept forgetting it was Peter Boyle. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and so, I, oh, God, right, it's Peter Boyle. Same thing with Gene Hackman, oh, which we'll get to later. But. I'm going to
2: just give you a, a very quick, uh, I just did you I know, just, a quick search just to confirm on, on Google. It says, Peter's wife, Lorraine Alterman Boyle, was a reporter for Rolling Stone magazine. When they first met, he was in full makeup for Young Frankenstein. Through, huh. her, through her friendship with Yoko Ono, Peter met and became best friends with ex-Beatle John Lennon. Lennon served at the be, as the best man at their wedding. That's okay, pretty so cool. I'm, I'm just happy to know that I wasn't misinformed on that, because I was saying it off the top of my head. <laughs> yes. No, once, that's
3: awesome. I had no idea.
4: Once we get to... Uh, clor- to Cloris Leachman, we can talk about misinformed, the urban legend I carried around for years, which wasn't true. Oh, yeah. John Berthold, I'm calling you out for lying to me about that. But Jock we'll get to that. that.
2: So well, why don't we why don't we
4: go right there now? Because <laughs> 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 you've got me intrigued. <laughs> My friend John Berthold, and apparently this is a fairly common urban legend that gets picked up. There was a, a joke that Bluka was either Yiddish. or or German, depending on who's telling the story, for glue, thus explaining why the horses would rear up and scream.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: It's not. Yeah, I, it's just a random. Yeah,
3: I, I grew up th- hearing the same thing that Blucher stood. Where, yeah, it was German for glue, and that's why the horses freaked out every time you said it. But apparently, that's not true. No, which is kind of unfortunate because I sort of like that urban. That would legend, be very clever.
4: It, be yeah, really it would true. Be. It and sounds it, like something Mel Brooks would do. It does,
3: exactly. That's just why it seems it's so believable, but it, it it's not true. Nope.
2: Now, uh, let's see. Who else have we got on the list here? Well, just an interesting one on a very minor level is Kenneth Mars, who played <laughs> the... Uh, inspector Kemp. Yeah, the Inspector because he was also the Nazi from uh, The Producers. Yep, <laughs> sure was. That's, that's really the, the big thing with him. And I, I love the dart game with him. What oh, my God. Man? That was the one that stuck
4: with me as a, a kid. It was that and the musical number were the two things that I really took out of that movie. That I, was the I funniest thing I'd ever seen. And it was just the broken glass, the cat, which <laughs> was, was <laughs> voiced by Mel Brooks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He does appear in the movie,
3: but what he does with that wooden arm—when <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was a kid, that was one of my favorite things: was watching yeah. him smack his arm into different positions. <laughs>
2: it's it's absolutely it, which is which. If my memory is correctly, that's a parody on Bride of Frankenstein. Yes, it is. Uh,
4: we didn't get to that when we were watching that to prepare for it. Which scene was it? I we bought you know a Bride of Frankenstein to watch that in conjunction with this rewatching this, but then never got around to
3: oh, yeah. watching it. Yeah, but I no. do remember
4: that from before when I watched it.
3: Yeah, I still don't think I, I've seen Frankenstein, the Universal monster no. movie, um, which. which Puts a little bit more of young Frankenstein into perspective for me, gave me a little more context, but I've yet to see Bride of Frankenstein all the way through.
4: The scene where he is speaking in front of the
2: villagers, right. like that, that is right out of Bride of Frankenstein. And that is what I understand. steps? Which steps? And that, that also leads us to another comment that we can make is that Bride of Frankenstein gives us the scene with the hermit. Mm-hmm. Yes, that yep. we get in uh, in this with Gene Hackman in a brilliant, I believe, uncredited role.
3: You know, he might be. Mm-hmm. I
2: <sighs> he, I don't think he is credited.
4: And from what I understand, he just kind of, he played, te- was he played tennis with Gene Wilder? And he asked him if he could be in it. He wanted to try comedy. And, yeah, he know, just
3: wanted to try comedy, <laughs> <just> <laughs> like you do. And I guess, yeah, Gene Wilder and Gene Hackman were tennis players. Partners buddies, whatever they 're called, and talked it out and, and Gene offered to give him a, a small role in the movie
2: and he, I mean Gene Hackman has and you 've seen it in other movies subsequent to this i 'm sure has just an impeccable comic timing about him
4: uh, yes, it was he was carved out of stone to have um, impeccable comic timing and it
2: right, because for me
3: with gene Hackman to hear it put like he wanted to try out comedy. The only other thing that I distinctly remember seeing him in is the bird cage, which is quite <laughs> funny. It's a very funny movie.
4: Before that, he was known for his dramatic roles. He's, he's done a number of comedies up and, and also Lex Luthor.
2: But before the, before this, he would have done Bonnie and, Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde, which that would have been what I knew, what I knew him from at this point. Um, uh, and that's, I mean, that's a serious movie, but his mm-hmm. character has kind of some comic relief moments to mm-hmm. it, where he's, in fact, there's a scene with Gene Wilder in there.
4: Gene Wilder, both of them use, both of them, we were talking about that earlier today, That was, was that Gene Wilder's first role, if I remember right?
2: Quite possibly, I think you might be correct. Not
4: Gene that. Wilder's first role, I meant, uh, yeah, Gene Wilder. And it's he did bring a heck of a lot to what would have been an otherwise forgettable role. He kind of goes through his own look.
2: Now, I, I remember seeing that. I mean, again, we're tangenting here. But I remember seeing that <laughs> on TV when they first aired it on TV, which was probably around the time that this movie was out. So I was a young kid. And just to, to flesh it out for anybody who's never seen Bonnie and Clyde, uh, you know, the, the group of criminals... Uh, are in a car with Gene Wilder. I don't, I don't remember if Gene Wilder picked them up as a hitchhiker or vice versa. I think they picked him up. Uh, and they're all getting along just great, laughing, telling jokes and everything. And then they find out, I think, Gene Wilder is like an undertaker or something like that. T- and they mm-hmm. just kick him out of the car because uh, yeah. they're, like, disgusted by it. And I remember seeing that and, and actually being, like, upset and feeling so sorry for him. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Because he was getting along with them so well, and all of a sudden they hated him.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Such is life.
2: Yeah, that's you know you never know what kind of impression you're going to make on a young kid when <laughs> with these movies. Yeah, but back did, to did this sure one. that
4: stuff sticks with you?
2: I think you know the the standout star, at least, I, I, even when I was a kid, and still is Marty Feldman. He's just no question. He he's he just. He doesn't carry this movie on his back because everybody else is so good, but he is definitely the MVP of the movie.
4: <laughs> yeah, no question. A tie between him and Gene. Gene pulls some stuff off in that, but Marty Feldman gives me a bit, Has the single moment in there that will make me crack every time. I could watch it five times in a row and I will laugh at this and it's funny that we're doing a show about jaws 'cause it's a it's a jump cut. Scare- it, scare- oh when he drops scare- when he drops scare- the brain? Jump scare. No, it's when he um when they're going through the the various skulls and it's like
2: six oh, months. Well, yeah, I ain't got like nobody. <laughs> but, <laughs> I ain't got nobody. You jump,
4: you laugh.
3: Yeah.
4: Every time every
3: time, for me too. I know it's coming.
4: I- yeah. Oops. I mean, for me, it's it's right up there with Hooper finding uh, Ben Gardner's boat. That <laughs> that will make me jump every single time. It is a masterpiece when it comes to the jump scare. It is perfectly crafted to the point that I think Spielberg even thinks that it detracts from his later famous j- jump scare because it, he'd almost used it all up. But <laughs> ironically, this even though it is a Jaws podcast, we're not talking
2: about Jaws. Well, we can we can always tangent into it, but uh, I I don't think anybody else broke the fourth wall in this movie except Marty Feldman, and I think those are some of the classic moments.
1: That's,
4: the the monster does on the one part what, with the where the little girl says,
2: "Oh yeah, what you're we right."
4: We throw in there now. You're right, but yeah, so, yeah, and that was speaking of that, that was the reason that Mel Brooks wasn't in the movie. Gene didn't want him there. Because he didn't, because Gene, because Mel does so many, uh, so many breaking of the fourth wall. And so, outside of Marty and that, the movie is rather much more contained because of that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's the least Mel Brooksy of the Mel Brooks movie, which is a weird thing to say because it is very much Mel Brooks.
2: It is, though, but it, I guess maybe that is a reflection of the fact that Gene Wilder was the primary writer on this. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Mel, Mel Brooks collaborated with him, but Gene Wilder was kind of putting this together before Mel Brooks ever joined him on it. And, uh, you know, conventional wisdom is that Mel Brooks was at his best when he was just being a director and not in his movies.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I can't necessarily argue with that because I think his... His, his most popular movies or his most highly thought of movies are probably this, The Producers, and Blazing Saddles. And Blazing Saddles he has a cameo in, but he's not a star by any means. Right. Uh, I also very much enjoy hang- High Anxiety and Silent Movie, which he's Love in. Silent Movie, yes. Uh, but, I, like I said, I guess I can't argue when his, his three highly, most highly th- thought of movies are movies that he wasn't in. Or didn't star in,
3: and those are actually those three movies are the ones that are on the American Film Industry's top 100 funniest movies of all time. Are the are, yeah the producers, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Is it the producers? Yeah,
4: producers. yes. Yeah.
3: I think I, I literally read it like less than half an hour ago.
2: Um, <laughs> we prepared. Yeah, we, less than a half hour ago. Well, no. Okay. Uh, your 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 preparation is appreciated. <laughs>
3: I, and high Anxiety. We, we're done.
2: We don't have any more. Yeah, having,
3: it. so it's all. I loved High Anxiety. And I guess I can, I maybe I can understand that. Although it occurs to me, I don't think I've seen, aside from Young Frankenstein, any Mel Brooks film that he wasn't in.
4: Producers. Oh, the Producers. And,
3: but Blazing Saddles. He's
2: in Blazing Saddles. Yeah, but I, it's know, I, know, I know, I know, I know. He, and he has so. a, a cameo as a Native American in Blazing Saddles. And, That's uh, it, though. Yeah, yes. Oh, no, wait a minute. He's also he's Governor Lepedemick. He's, yeah. right.
3: yeah, uh, yeah. no, he's Yeah, he's yeah. I forgot he's
2: Governor he, Lepedemick. Work, 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 work.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, that's right. And then in Robin Hood Men in Tights, where he plays um,
4: Rabbi Tuckman. The
3: rabbi, right, exactly, instead of the friars. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. Well, I, I think Spaceballs had kind of <laughs> given him, like, he was enjoying the acting bug again, because he got to do, got to play the double role. and The then,
3: thing is, is like, Every time I see Mel Brooks, I smile. He just makes me laugh. Just his essence makes me laugh. I would never mind seeing Mel Brooks in his movies. And I think the breaking of the fourth wall is adorable. Wow. I think it's really funny, because every time he uses it, whether it's in History of the World, uh, when it's good to be the king, yeah. um, in which he does again, then, in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, it, I think it always works. I'm a big fan of meta humor. It's my favorite, almost one of my favorite kinds of humor. So it, it to me, it works just fine.
4: I probably learned about Mel, meta humor from Mel Brooks movies or Bugs Bunny. So <laughs> my, the two Mel's.
3: <laughs> yeah, Bugs Bunny too. The two Mel, <laughs> Mel
4: Brooks <laughs> or Mel <laughs> Blank. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, the two big Mel's. <laughs> uh, but for me, what was I going to say? I thought it was something to do, dovetail on what you were saying. Oh, about about breaking the fourth wall. I generally like that too. In the terms you were talking about, but in this movie, by not having it, it turns it into a different sort of entity, mm-hmm. and it makes it it rises it above the level of uh, parody to to the real high tier of it. In that, it's a contained movie. It it represents the best qualities of a parody in that it is a good representation of the genre it's parodying. This movie is a good representation of Universal Studios mo- Studios monster movies. It could fit right in. It's just that the characters are a little are insane in a different way, right. and it's played for laughs. Mm-hmm. But just the lighting, the fades, you know, the wipes, um, the soundtrack, all of it is so great. It's like um, like Galaxy Quest to the level fine science fiction movie book mm-hmm. and great parody mm-hmm. yeah I, I,
2: I agree with you i think you have to give mel brooks props for creating the atmosphere or for recreating the atmosphere from those movies the movies that he is parodying and once again i think i would say more so brighter frankenstein than the original frankenstein because the original is a little bit more uh just put together uh the the Sequel definitely seems much more polished uh, in, I'm you know, *The Bride of you. Frankenstein*. So, you know, I feel this has the look of that. Uh, you know, he he didn't purposely make this look old. He just put it in black and white and put together the, you know, the 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 lighting and everything to kind of mimic that look.
4: And got the same props mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. So.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so I, I definitely think, you know, he deserves credit for that because that's not necessarily easy to do. The cinematography is credited to Gerald Hirschfeld, and I'm just taking a quick look at his filmography. Uh, the earliest movie on the list that they give, which it's only a, a selected filmography, uh, is in 1950. So it's not that he went and got somebody who had been around for, you know, 40 years and... Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, got somebody who was from that era. Uh, and I don't see anything else that would fit into the same category as this. Although he did do My Favorite Year. Okay. Which would be, you know, another movie where he's kind of creating a certain style, you know, uh, on a period piece. Sure. In fact, that's almost an interesting connection then because the character who is kind of tailing the Peter you know, Peter O'Toole in that movie is based on Mel Brooks. Oh, okay. God, I haven't
4: seen that movie in eons off the When, pop that when Mel
2: Brooks worked on your show of shows, unless I'm mistaken okay. about that. Mark Lynn Baker from uh, Perfect Strangers was played <laughs> yeah, the part. And I'm pretty sure he was based on Mel Brooks.
4: i you're striking enough of a memory. I think I heard something along those lines before, so I'm gonna I'm going to treat what you just said as gospel.
2: <laughs> there we go. I'll, I'll, I'll do the same, and if somebody disproves it, I'll just ignore them. Uh, yeah, so we've already called it. It's canon now. <laughs> so now, uh, Maggie, you mentioned uh, you have a lot of favorite quotes in this one. You want to share share some of them with us?
3: Man, <laughs> even down to, like, when they get into the secret library and Marty Feldman touches the violin, it's still warm. <laughs> it, and, I mean, it's so quotable. It's up there with almost anything from Monty Python. It, it, with the exception that they don't make T-shirts with Mel Brooks lines printed on them, which I think is a crying shame. It's one... I, now, see, now that I have to think of the quotes, now I can't think of any of them. Go figure. Except for the one about the violin, which is minor. The the old couple on the train where they're talking, and then they do the same thing again in uh, in German...
4: It's the same. I'm turning to my list of of lines. Sorry about the the paper. That's Um, okay.
3: When he... Oh, in the beginning with the old man, and he says he would collapse like a bunch of broccoli. (laughs) When I was a kid, I used to use that simile for everything. I would say that all the time. It made me laugh so hard. And he stabs the scalpel into his thigh... Which it's not a quote, but I did just ruin this for John yes. uh, earlier today because we were watching some behind-the-scenes Young Frankenstein videos on YouTube, and I said, you know, when he did that, you can see the pad he's wearing under his pant leg, so he doesn't actually stab himself in the leg. And John's like, "Oh, great! I can never unsee that now."
2: That is that is very true. When you when you when you eliminate the magic of the illusion, sometimes it does it, it never comes back again.
4: Yes, and I will ruin uh, just for that. I will ruin back at you. Nobody is ever drinking coffee in a TV show. They are carrying around empty cups.
3: No, that bothers coffee me. Coffee
4: has heft; it has weight. The people are just waving around paper and cups. Now that I've told you this, you will never unsee this.
2: You're I'm going to I'm going uh, to give you another little trivia fact from uh, that'll relate to your appearance on the Cheers cast. Back when Cheers was still being made, I saw uh, George Went on the David Letterman show. And they asked him about, you know, all these beers that you drink on the show. And, you know, we see you drinking them. And George Wendt said, well, you're not allowed to actually drink beer when you're filming them. So we use something called near beer. Mm-hmm. So, it a little trivia right. fact. But the, and also they had to put
4: salt in it to give it a head. So he was constantly swilling this like salty, like, gross, salty, gross non-alcoholic beer. I'm sure, I'm sure that
2: was great for his blood pressure too.
4: Yeah,
3: <laughs> talk about commitment,
2: though, man. Mm. So just uh, you know, while I had a chance, I punched up, I punched up uh, Rotten Tomatoes, Frank, Young Frankenstein quotes, and I would say probably the the one that we use most often on uh, on on Back to the Bins is. I was going to make espresso. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just looking at other things that are on here. Uh, Abbey Normal, been, which is one Abby, that, that John quoted to me just today. Uh, <laughs> Abby
1: Normal.
3: <laughs> oh, oh, there's the whole part where he's, they're doing, um, like, charades.
2: <laughs> <Is> <laughs> yes. a set, set a give. <laughs> oh, and, and, and one that I use very, very often is, could be worse. Could be, <laughs> Could be raining.
3: Yeah, I can't believe I couldn't call that to my mind before. Yes, I, I say that a lot. In, in Speaking real quick of, of the quotes, too, because John and I quote this movie to each other so frequently.
4: And I'm usually saying, hearts and kidneys are tinker toys. Yeah. <laughs>
3: the worm or the spaghetti. <laughs> um, but we've never actually watched the movie together until we were preparing to be on, but is it Jaws? Right, it, which we we realized the other night, we're like, oh yeah, we've we've been together for a long time, and we've been talking about the movie, but we've never actually watched it together. So that was kind of a nice little thing that you provided us with that moment.
2: I'm I'm happy to have given you that. <laughs>
4: yes, it was wonderful. It was fun we'll to watch it together. A, it yeah. was. We'll make it a tradition.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: That's what. Oh, my favorite bit though, besides the. I ain't got nobody, but I am in stitches, mostly because it's my mom's favorite part, and every time I'm watching it, I can think of my mom just in tears, uh, just unable to stop laughing. It's the whole thing with, put the candle back! (laughs) (laughs) Moving all the way up to the... Now I want you to listen to me very <laughs> With all your might, shove on the other side Do of the bucket. Not place. put the candle back.
3: <laughs> oh, that movie's so good. It's just he so good. was my, my boyfriend. boyfriend. <laughs> Leech is phenomenal.
2: Yes. Well, that, well that's we, the one thing. You know, we 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 went through the list of actors and actresses in this movie, and I can say without fear of anybody disagreeing with me that there isn't a bad note in it as far as the performances go and there really isn't a joke in it that falls flat
4: no i can't think of a joke that falls flat and i i can't say that about very many mel brooks movies yeah yeah even blazing saddles which if i had to i would grant i would say if i had to compare this to blazing saddles uh, on the right day i might agree that blazing saddles is a is a funnier movie than this not too often Hmm. but but even that has a view that falls flat and, I mean, Spaceballs does. Robin Hood Men in Tights definitely does. See,
3: I would disagree. I love Robin Hood Men in Tights. I love every minute of that well, movie, and I always have. You
4: love it for the same reason that I love Spaceballs. Because, because of Carrie Elvis? No, <laughs> I like that Carrie Elvis is in it, and I like that, unlike some Robin Hoods, he can speak with an, with, English, with an accent. English accent. With an English accent? Yes. But, but you hadn't even seen Prince of Thieves, so you didn't get that joke.
3: No, no, I didn't. But, but it it retroactively made that line a lot funnier for me.
4: Look at all this gold you're getting here, Paul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now we're just having a like conversation it's like he's not even here. Shaper Hames banter. This
3: is what our podcast is like. I it's
4: listen just... to your
2: podcast. I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate that.
3: Oh boy, we're <laughs> obnoxious.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not seeing it that way. I'm I'm still good with all of this.
4: We're gonna oh, use uh, that in
2: our trailer. But... <laughs> But uh, I forgot where I was going to go now. Uh, yeah, I mean, when when you're putting it in sequence, if you're trying to say, like, the best Mel Brooks movie, uh, I would have to say, for me, it's either this or Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. And Blazing Saddles clearly is a movie you couldn't make today uh, because the humor in it would just not be accepted or, you know, a lot of people would be too sensitive to it. Yeah, you would have to
4: be very careful, and only Mel Brooks is the only person who ever could have made it anyway. I think probably to be able to handle the the racism the way it was to make it clear clear that it was the bigots who are the enemy in that movie. So the use of it, you know,
1: morons. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. because it's
3: the same guy who can write Springtime for Hitler. And being Jewish, as Mel Brooks is, I think kind of allowed him to bring a sort of levity to Blazing Saddles that would be hard for another director to achieve. The first time I watched Blazing Saddles, I did not like it, because they used the N-word quite frequently, and it made me very uncomfortable. And then I watched it a few years later, and I kind of understood that that was the point, is that it's... It's okay. I, I hesitate to say that because I'm white, so what do I know? But in that context, it seems to be okay. And then they do a callback in Robin Hood Men in Tights. A black sheriff worked in Blazing Saddles. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mel Brooks movies.
2: Yeah, I, I you know, I, I it's funny because uh, I was discussing them with my daughter and her boyfriend, and uh, he does not think Blazing Saddles is funny. And I think I'll it's because he's from, obviously, a much younger generation. Yeah. And they have been conditioned, I would say, for better rather than worse, mm-hmm. to be more sensitive to that type of thing and to find it a little yep. bit more offensive. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that's not a bad thing. But unfortunately, yep. and I've said this before political correctness can be the death knell of comedy.
4: It can't. That's it can, but we could do an entire That's a uh, conversation whole other show. on that, yeah, it's kind of just in case of, in terms of this, I would say Blazing Saddles is the kind of movie best um enjoyed with a level of maturity that they may not even have at nineteen and, sure. and that I wouldn't expect them to or want them to you and it, obviously it's something not that can't be explained knowing. it can only be looked at in the context of its age which is something that they cannot by definition have a frame of reference on sure but the but humor the humor the aspects of it that are you know funny as hell are universally so it's, would be the and that aspect should be would be eventually able to be would be able to eventually be appreciated one would say sure and
3: for me who loves meta humor as much as i do i mean blazing saddles is almost the ultimate in meta humor because at the end of the movie they're watching the movie.
2: Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I, I love that. And I think, you know, this is going to take us full circle to what what we were talking about early on in that sometimes the humor is based on how ridiculous things are, you know, to to shock mm-hmm. you with the ridiculousness of certain things. And that's the way you have to see the humor in blazing saddles when they, when there's racist or uh, you know just insensitive comments in general you have to find the humor in just that they're so ridiculous mm-hmm. not not you know it's it's not the mean-spirited aspect of it it's the just the, the fact that there is no basis for you know the way these values were presented and and
4: plus it's mel brooks is punching up With it, he is he is poking direct fun at bigots Mm -hmm. in that by using things. There's there are several deconstructions you can make about um, appropriate or inappropriate use of or recognition of privilege in that, but that's Mm -hmm. for a different show or in a class I used to uh, used to uh, attend slash teach. But uh, in this case, I. You know, I was going to go somewhere with that, and I don't know where it, where it was. I
3: just keep going back to, to, to the my KKK world, members <laughs> yes. with the have a nice day and the smiley face on the back of the ropes. <laughs> right. Because the, the point is that it's, it's not that racism is, is funny. It's that bigots are jackasses, <laughs> and you should make fun of them because yeah. they're horrible people. And I, I don't know. I think Blazing Saddles is probably kind of a one-off. I, I don't think. I think I agree with Paul. I don't think you can do that again. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you could, and and that's that's fine. I don't think that we lose anything because of that, and we're starting to examine those kinds of things in a much different way. With I see now, I'm going to go off into like all kinds of different well, things. I'm going to stop now. It does make <laughs>
4: you wonder. Just I think where I was going with it, you know, in terms of political correctness of killing aspects of comedy. I think I'm wondering how much things that older movies that we would look at now that we even we still appreciate aspects of which we don't get now because we don't have the context the contextual aspects of it what i'm just saying there might be just something that would be a joke known to everybody watching it at the time oh but now but uh, now we're watching it and it goes completely over our heads Right. sure okay so i think it would be political correctness in this case would be just one shining example of how how, uh, just changing viewpoints, sure. so just our, not even changing, just the way that we look at anything is based on our individual context. Mm-hmm. If you age out of that context, so to speak, those that are still, you know, with it are going to be much more resistant to the moving on of it, whereas people who didn't have that original context wouldn't understand uh, the connection with it. Sure. Did that make any
3: sense? It made a little bit of sense. Yeah.
2: Okay. it does. It, it does. It's it uh, at, like you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of talk right now about how the new Disney streaming service is not going to include uh, movies that, well, specifically, Song of the South, because some that's
4: never going to, yeah, but that was that was never going to be out.
2: But, but you know, it's presented that way, saying that, uh, you know, that that it's. I'm losing my track of thought now um, <laughs> that, you know, they, they they don't want to present it because of some of the outdated things that are presented in there. however, I saw somebody put something up about how uh you know you you can put kind of a warning at the beginning about how this is showing a bygone error that doesn't exist anymore, and they they somebody put up a clip from uh, a VHS collection. Oh, it was from a Tom and Jerry collection. And they there was a character in there who was like uh, Mamie so and so or whatever and it was like a, a black woman. Yes oh, and they
4: changed her voice in the reruns.
2: And, and what they, they did but her. what they did on, on the on the D V D release was they had Whoopi Goldberg do an introduction where she explained that, you know, this was this is a bygone era and you know th- there's no point in sweeping it under the carpet just understand where it's coming from and she gave a much more lengthy and intelligent uh, description than what I'm doing uh, but that you know they, that. by doing that you can now present these things in, a, in their context and I think you could do the same with Song of the South and that's a very long way to get us to Blazing Saddles which isn't even the movie we're reviewing <laughs> man
4: I would love to at a different on a different date talk at length with you about song of the South, probably not on the air because i' have i've complica- never seen I have i've no complicated feelings about it I've seen it many times I've seen it recently,
3: but I have seen it's- that uh the kind of disclaimer that whoopi Goldberg did at the beginning of of the looney Tunes d v d and it I remember being a kid and watching old cartoons at, like, my great-grandma's house, and th- what they did with, like, Native Americans especially seemed to be a big thing for a while, and boy, was that racist. I, I mean, culturally yeah. insensitive at best, but it was r- not nice but, portrayal of, of, you know, an entire people.
4: And, and this is going to sound cliché, but we are just three white people talking about, <laughs> about it. No, yeah. but by that, I mean that there needs to be voices of everybody talking to, and we should listen to the... The ones that are on the bottom of the power group in that. In that. Right.
2: And, and, yeah, I, I appreciate that, that it's easy to be on the outside looking in and say, oh, you should take this with a grain of salt, when I'm not yeah. the and one who is being insulted.
3: Exactly, <clears throat> which is why it's so good that they had Whoopi Goldberg do that mm-hmm. disclaimer, because that it makes sense.
4: She was criticized by some. She was. A lot of people time.
3: didn't like. That that happened. There's
4: a lot of people that don't like Whoopi Goldberg and will find a reason to not like what she does. I love
3: Jumping Jack Flash.
2: <laughs> See, I'm not a huge fan of Whoopi Goldberg, but I mm-hmm. respect that she did that, and I think I agree with her doing that. So, you mm-hmm. know, I, although I did love her in Ghost, <laughs> me too.
3: Yeah, she's I like her in
2: Jumping Jack Flash as well. I love that. Nice. <laughs> That one's not So Young
3: Frankenstein. So so
2: you know what? I'm going to ask you guys.
3: Is this Jaws? (laughs) Oh, it's absolutely Jaws. And actually, as I say this, I did tell my supervisor at my job loves Jaws. It's her favorite movie. She owns every version of the DVD that came out. She's got a movie poster of it in her office. Everything in her office that she gets from employees is all shark related. (laughs) And I told her, I said, I'm going to be on a podcast that's called, is it Jaws? And she's no way. I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> so it's, and I, I kind of told her, you know, Jaws 1, 2, 3, and 4. And Young Frankenstein is absolutely Jaws. It's the best. I love Young Frankenstein. It's a fantastic movie. There's nothing wrong with it. it. It does still hold up to the test of time. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice anything when we watched it the other day that jumped out at me, mm-hmm. Like, ooh, boy, that really dates it, or that's what we would consider to be offensive. Now, I don't recall there being any moment in that movie that made me think that.
2: I would tend Uh, to agree with you. Jonathan, why don't you give your is-it-jaws rating before I give mine? It's Jaws. Whereas quality
4: is relative, and anyone can have any opinion they want on any piece of artwork... I would be confused by anyone who didn't think this was one of the greatest comedies that's ever been put together.
3: Agreed.
2: (laughs) And and I'm going to make it unanimous because while I'm not sure exactly where this would land if I started listing my favorite movies ever, I don't know what number it would be on my list, uh, I could say it would be on the list somewhere. And it is one of the movies that I would call... A perfect movie. There is no weakness in it. There's no dull point. There's no actor that kind of makes you cringe. There's no point where the script lags. There's no point where it just looks bad. Everything about it works. So it is one of the movies that I would call a perfectly made movie. Uh, and therefore, it is Jaws. And, uh, you know, I think that's also borne out by the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, Maggie, that it's on the. Uh, was it the AFI Top 100 Comedies of All Time? Yep. I don't know where it yep, fa- yep. fell on that list.
3: I don't. Yeah, when it, what, the article I read just said it was on there and that I think it was like eight. They're on like the national, uh, per, uh, per, national film registry, something like that too. So it's and and in the video we just watched with Mel Brooks um, on the 40th anniversary of Young Frankenstein, there's a mural on the side of one of the studios. I think is it at Fox was where it was filmed and they have that big mural now on the side that's going to be there forever and it's of young frankenstein and it's so cool it's so cool and they have a boulevard named after mel brooks too
2: (laughs) (laughs) which he deserves according to wikipedia it says in 2011 abc aired a primetime special best in film the greatest movies of our time that counted down the best movies chosen by fans based on results of a poll conducted by abc and people Young Frankenstein was selected as the number four best comedy.
4: Number four best comedy.
3: Yeah. I'd be interested to know what number one was.
2: Uh I'm that's a guess. good question. And I'm gonna click Just to on see the, what it I'm gonna it click like. on the hyperlink now and see if it has a list. <laughs> best comedy is well see I wouldn't agree with this. Airplane. Oh they're, really? They they have the top five listed here. It's Airplane, Monty Python, and the Holy Grail. Some like it hot. Young Young Frankenstein and Tootsie.
3: Oh, oh, I haven't seen Tootsie in forever. I have to rewatch
2: Tootsie to gauge it. Airplane's
4: one of those movies I like less every time. It's it's great for what it is, it's a perfect example of that level of of slapstick war. Breaking in Leslie Nielsen is incredible and it's a whole bunch of serious actors that are now doing comedy by doing their same delivery as serious
0: people. I
3: think it's also kind of a good example of what you were talking about earlier, though, with jokes that don't work anymore because we don't have the context, that scene where it's that woman... And she's talking in Jive. Cut me some slack, Jack. Oh! You know, first of all, I have no idea who she was. And Jive is definitely something that's heavily associated with the 1970s, I think, if I'm not mistaken.
4: We will talk and I will explain that. But again, we're talking (laughs) about Young Frankenstein! (laughs) 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 I think we've moved towards the end bit. We We completely
3: derailed Paul's show.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, my my top-rated comedy of all time, if I'm making my list is actually going to be... It goes back further than this one because it would be It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh, that's Uh, up for me. Which I I just love. But I'm I'm a little surprised. I would have thought the voter list would have had Animal House on it in the top five.
4: Hmm. Our Ghostbusters... Yeah, and the the fact that
3: Tootsie is on that list is nuts because I saw that when I was a ki- kid, and I think I've only seen it once or twice, but I remember it's got uh, Dustin Hoffman, right?
2: Yeah, it's actually a very, and it's got Terry Garr, so it connects. To and Terry Garr! I mean, you've got like Arthur, you've got like ten. I'm yeah, ten. no, there's there's a lot of great comedies, and and while I think Airplane That's is is a fine comedy, it would not be and it would not break my top ten or even top twenty probably. Mm-hmm. Oh.
4: Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Not above Young Frankenstein by any means.
2: No, for sure not. Not for me either. So, there you have it, everybody. It's Jaws. So, before we call this conversation to an end, why don't you tell everybody listening about your shows?
3: Oh boy, I haven't done this in a little bit. (laughs) Would you like to do it? Yeah, so uh, we've got two podcasts. We've got Married with Comics, where we talk about whatever we feel like. And we have the Rod Pod, where we are following the IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics. Uh, We are on the internets in a couple of locations that I'm looking at, John, as I'm trying to remember.
4: (laughs) You can find both of those podcasts just by pointing a podcatcher at Married with Comics. And uh, we're on Facebook at uh, MWC underscore podcast. We're on Twitter at the same thing. Uh, Just... Uh, if you listen long enough, you'll hear hear us either arguing or being goofy on someone else's feed. So uh, <laughs> follow us, and you'll wind up at our podcasts.
3: And John also does do Marvel.
4: Oh, yes. I also appear over on the Longbox Crusade for the uh, Transformers Chronicles, the Marvel years, where we do the uh, Marvel Transformers comics chronologically. I'm just all about the Transformers
2: lately. <laughs> there you go. That's That's a little after my time. So that's, I listen, I've i listened to Married With Comics, but I have not listened to the Rod Pod. sorry. You may have, like it. <laughs> you, if if, if it I a were comic. a Transformers fan, I think I would be all over it.
4: it Maggie, um, it was her first ever Transformers experience was that comic, and it's now one of her favorite comics of all time.
2: It's one of my favorite things of all time. Yeah, it's pretty great. I love it, those books. That's cool. Very cool. Thank you guys for coming on. I enjoyed this.
3: Yeah, yeah, thanks for yeah, having us and great.
2: putting up with us. Yes, <laughs> I'm if we putting up it with help you, help you not at all. It's, it's This was a pleasure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? we <laughs> the Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper, trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper. Cooper, Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or Rombarellas in their midst.